This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast. Today is Wednesday, May 26th. I'm Stan Friedman, and this is Franchise Today. Well, I've heard from many of you like me who have fond memories of Roy Rogers restaurants and are as happy as me to hear that Roy Rogers rides again. So thanks again to Greg Koffler for providing the history lesson for those of you who've never experienced Roy's and for the great news that thanks to the Plamondon family, they will quite likely have that chance to catch up with the rest of us in the not too distant future. Today, we're going to continue down the post-COVID trail and have a look at franchising through the eyes of private equity. Ten Point Capital's Tom Wells will join us in a few minutes to tell us that as much as things have changed this past year in so many other ways, Post-COVID, franchising looks very much the same in terms of private equity's point of view and their interest in the business model. Thanks again, too, to Mike Kelly at Atmosphere TV for hooking me up with an Apple TV receiver loaded up with 20 channels of fun and lifestyle programming, the same as Atmosphere provides to bars, grills, restaurants, and virtually any business that has a waiting room with a TV screen in it. You'll remember that Leo Rezig, Atmosphere's co-founder and CEO, joined us a couple of weeks back to talk about this amazing free service that Atmosphere offers to businesses nationwide, enabling them to cut the cord on overpriced cable in favor of Atmosphere TV's 100% free programming options. Or in the cases where cable is still needed because of sports programming, Atmosphere TV will augment cable, providing patrons with a more entertaining, audio-optional experience to keep them entertained when there are no ball games or live events being broadcast and guaranteed to extend a customer's time spent on site at their favorite restaurants, bars, or grills, riveted to any one of Atmosphere's 20 engaging and entertaining channels of programming. Now that I've experienced it personally, I completely understand why people will not mind waiting longer at the dentist, doctor, or chiropractor's office and why so many customers do stick around for just one last beer at their favorite restaurants, taverns, or grills, thoroughly immersed in Atmosphere's programming. We'll be talking a lot more about that in the weeks ahead as Atmosphere joins our roster of sponsors. But today, it's all about private equity and franchising post-COVID. A quick break here, and I'm back with Tom Wells, managing partner at 10 Point Capital. Franchise Today will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsors. We are all familiar with Vistage, YPO, and EO. Well, now comes Zor Forum, a somewhat similar type of executive group, but this one comes with a twist. Zor Forum groups are exclusively for franchisors. Imagine a peer group for sharing and networking on a platform built exclusively for franchise executives. Zor Forum members are afforded unparalleled access to best practices and some of the brightest minds within the franchising world through regular meetings and a dedicated communications platform. In this post-COVID world, a franchise-specific mastermind or peer group is an endeavor worth making time for. Zor Forum groups of 6 to 10 will bring leaders together that are in similar situations, but with exclusivity in terms of their competitive sets, so that each can openly help others benefit from their respective knowledge, perspective, and experience with no fear of competitive loss. Network, learn, strategize, and remain motivated along your journey. 
Join a peer group, not just any peer group. Join the only one designed for emerging franchisors. Join Zor Forum. Learn more at zorforum.org. That's www.zorforum.org. Tom Wells has only been at this for about eight years or so, but a finer collection of mentors, guides, and partners would have been difficult to assemble than the likes of Mike Rotundo, Scott Presley, and Charles Watson. Their guidance over the years has brought Tom's core competencies in franchising right up to the same levels that his BS in finance at Boston College and his MBA in business from Chicago's Booth School of Business provided for him in finance. Throw years of Southeast Franchise Forum and IFA programming into the mix, and today Tom Wells has earned his CFE and stands toe-to-toe with the best of the best in the franchise private equity sector. And better still, he's here right now to tell us all about it. Tom Wells, welcome to Franchise Today. Thanks for having me. Kind of funny, isn't it, that it takes a PR firm in Chicago to bring two Atlanta guys together to have a conversation that they should have thought about having without any help from a third party. But it's kind of how things work out. It is funny how it works out. So you're here in the Atlanta area and have been for several years. I know you from waving hello at IFA and Southeast Franchise Forum events. Hopefully we'll be doing that again, not too far into the future as things seem to be opening up and returning to some semblance of normal. Tom, I want you to do for us what everybody does that joins me here on Franchise Today and rewind the tape for the audience and help them understand how you found your way to franchising or more importantly, how franchising found you. Yeah, you mentioned I'm down in Atlanta, The what I call the franchise capital of the world. So uh, a lot of franchising goes on here, but I'll, I'll walk you through how I got to now. I have much more of a, a traditional finance background. And, you know, one thing that has been consistent throughout my life is I've always loved brands and I've always loved, been a huge foodie forever. And so it's sort of looking back at it, I guess natural I ended up here, but it was not an intentional path. So I moved back to Atlanta. I sort of worked in investment banking, had done some private equity work early in my career, got an MBA. And really what that led me to is I loved growth companies, sort of came out of, of that going. I love helping brands and companies that grow quickly. So when, when I was looking for what I was going to do after business school, came back to Atlanta where I'm from, I had sort of bounced around the country and ended up working for a firm called BIP Capital. BIP Capital is a, much more of a venture capital healthcare technology firm, but we also did some franchise work. My, my partner, Scott Presley, who's my partner today, has been around the industry for I don't know, 25, 30 years now. And just by chance happened to end up working with him on a variety of deals at, at BIP, one of which was Tropical Smoothie Cafe. We just throughout, I think what I ended up learning and discovering was how much I had a passion for franchising. In addition to just loving restaurants and branded concepts, I, I love the business model of franchising. I love you sort of, if you're in this industry a long time, you, you get to hear the stories and sort of work through the stories. And I it always, always love talking to the founders about how they got to here. I love talking to the franchisees that had sort of taken a chance early on in their life cycle with the brand. And it ultimately had been successful for them and they had done really well. And so I, I just, over the years working with my partner, Scott, we just grew more in love with franchising. And so about, it's been about four years now, we, we formalized 10 Point Capital, which is our firm today. We focus exclusively on franchisors right now. So we, we generally, we're not investing in franchisee deals, but more of the brand. And, and that's really where our skill set is. And we are usually, I mean, the, the brands 
we focus on her, it, it, there's a lot of consistency between them. They are typically going to be a high growth concept. I mentioned I like growth and I'm passionate about growth. They've already got a franchise model in place. It's something we love is, is the branded side. They're going to have proven that the concept works. So kind of 30 to 300 units, sort of what I would say is an emerging concept and maybe transitioning out of sort of the early stages, but it, it's proven that it works. And then yeah, the other thing we really tend to look for is it's founder led. So we, we think we're a great partner for founders. Like I said, I, I have a little bit of experience doing some sort of venture capital investing and, and some earlier stage stuff, but it, but always loved partnering with the founder who had had the vision and built the, the concept. I, I joke, I love, you know, one and two and five unit chains. I, I could never come up with that or get it here, but I am, but what I do like to do is be helpful. And when you get over the hump and you're 30, 50, 100 units, how do you think about the future? And so as we formed 10 point, that was the core focus for us. And so I didn't, like I said, never thought I'd be necessarily in franchising sort of happening to land at a firm with my now partner, Scott, and being able to, to be a part of Tropical Smoothie Cafe and its sort of transition and growth from sort of founder-led 200-unit restaurant system. It's north of 1,000 units today or right around 1,000 units today. It was really impactful in, in just getting me into the business model. And then I would say from there, you know, we've been fortunate to be a part of really cool founder-led brands. So the first one we did purely under the 10-point capital umbrella was called Phoenix Salon Suite. We work for for hairstylists is sort of like, is how I like to put it, but for beauty professionals. And it's great concept. Founder led the founders are the largest shareholder in that business still. We're, we have helped them sort of build out the team and continue to scale that business quickly, going from a little under 200 units when we did it to 300 units today. We invested in a, in a concept called Slim Chickens about 18 months ago, two, month, two years ago, which is a fast food, better chicken concept with a focus on chicken tenders and chicken wings. It was about 80 units when we did it, been around a long time. Now it, it north of 100 units. It will probably open. 40 to 50 new locations at that brand. And then the other brand we've got a relationship with that we spend a lot of time with is called Walk On. So we invested in that concept about six months ago. So a sort of joke that we were the goofballs doing a casual dining deal in the middle of the pandemic, but we invested in October. It's a team we've known a long time. And so for us, and, and I, I think what suits us and with the types of companies we're looking at, these, franchising is like the most relationship-driven business I've, I've been around. And so for us, the relationships are important. We generally spend a lot of time getting to know the teams and the founders before we invest. So walk-ons is a great example. We've known them for two or three years. We've helped them along the way. We've given them feedback. We've gotten to just see what they're able to do. And, and we're happy we get we get to partner with it with them. So Let me ask you this before you keep more deeply into any of the brands and 10 points business and its direction and goals. I really would love though to just probe a little more deeply on your entry into the space when you and Scott first met. And then when you, and I guess, Charles Watson got to know each other, were those your first two primary people that were franchise related that you were drawing from or learning from? And what did that look like? How did you get your education and knowledge on the franchise side up to the same level of core competency that you had in finance? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. So I was in a lot of ways fortunate. So call it eight years ago, nine years ago, when I started working with Scott, I came into this with literally no understanding of franchising, sort of conceptually knew McDonald's was a franchise. That was sort of about it with a lot of like a lot of people getting this, right? No idea about it. And I was a blank slate. And, and to me, that ended up being a huge benefit is that I, I was willing to ask questions. I had no idea what I was getting into. And I was fortunate to, to be around a group of people who did franchising the right way. You know, I, I think Scott and I, we're very active in the Franchise Association. We've Scott's been around it probably 15, 20 years. I don't know. So basically, since it really got going, I've been around it since I've been in the space. And so I, my education came from a bunch of different people who all were really passionate about making sure it worked for the franchisee. And they were like, great. Everything was done the right way. And so early on, I had Scott Presley <laughs> explaining franchising, putting up with my really ridiculous, dumb questions, but just 
sort of my basic questions. Mike Rotundo, who was CEO of Tropical Smoothie at the time, Mike's been around the space a long time. He's got a great background. He, he came up through Arby's and through RTM, which has a great reputation in the industry. Mike was, was really impactful to teaching me about franchising and Charles Watson, CEO of Tropical Smoothie today. He's an operating partner of ours. Yeah, I, I think the consistent was all of them saw how to do franchising the right way, how to sort of build concepts that were really sustainable where the franchisees did really well. But it, coming into it with no background, I, mean, I remember going to the first franchise association show I ever went to and, and not not knowing what an FDD was. When you get into right. it, you, you literally know nothing. And I think for me, being able to sit with a team that was really focused at Tropical on how do I go build a great concept franchisees, that, that was incredibly impactful. Coming and sitting, I mean, I've sat through all the content at IFA. I've been to all the conferences. Having that exposure to IFA and Southeast Franchise Forum and to people who care about how you go build this for franchisees and so that these brands last a long time and they're done correctly was eye-opening to me. And very quickly took me from, hey, I have no idea what this is, to at least I have a base understanding. And fortunately, I was able to follow the life cycle of a brand with Tropical, but get involved with some other brands and really get my education sort of on the fly with with great leadership teams along the way. So with guys like Rotundo and Charles Watson and Scott Presley, who I've known for longer than you, you really had three great mentors to, I guess, become the cornerstones of your franchise education. And then they must have just kind of tossed you into the deep end of the pool and sent you off to IFA to get overwhelmed by the rest of the world that you are about to embark upon. It's great to share that story because I think everyone has a story, but from different points of view. Now with the coupling of your core competencies in finance and a better understanding of the world of franchising, you're doing great stuff to help other people have a better foundational start with the growth of their brands as well. So just wanted all that as a baseline for the audience to understand. You haven't been at it for a very long time, but you couldn't have learned from anyone better. I was fortunate to get decades of experience imparted upon me so that I didn't have to learn it the hard way. But generally, I, I was fortunate to be around really talented people. And that, that's sort of the purpose of a lot of these groups, Franchise Association. I, I would also say I love my franchise attorneys. I had a couple good attorneys that I got to spend time around that really explained the intricacies of the space and some of the different aspects. If I've done one thing well, it's sort of asking the right people and listening to build an understanding of the space. I couldn't agree with you more about franchise attorneys. Attorneys as a whole don't usually get a lot of love, but I don't think that there's a business model that is dependent on attorneys as franchising is that has a better group of them who are more giving than they are. So couldn't agree with you more about that. I'll tell you what let's do, Tom. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's take the deeper dive into 10 point. Let's take a deeper dive into private equity, both pre and post COVID and what differences may be ensuing as the result of the pandemic in terms of the way private equity is viewing the franchise space. And we'll do all of that and more with my guest, Tom Wells, right after we take a quick break. We'll be right back. Franchise Today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors. This portion of Franchise Today is brought to you by Zoracle, providers of spot-on profiles, the gold standard of assessment tools that assure you're selecting the right franchisees every time. Unlike DISC or others that simply gauge personality or communication styles, Zoracle's spot-on assessments are all franchise-specific and based upon seven sciences that nail the results each and every time. Your prospects simply answer a few questions online, and like magic, Zoracle's algorithms scientifically slice, dice, and analyze their thresholds for risk, their business acumen, and even their propensity for single or multi-unit ownership. Zoracle's spot-on analysis is like having a crystal ball. But there's no hoodoo here. 
It's all based upon science that flawlessly determines franchisee, franchisor compatibility, and accurately predicts performance. Why don't you schedule a demo today and take a complimentary look and see for yourself. It's the closest thing to a sure thing. Zoracle, spot on assessments, based on science, but delivering results that seem simply magical. Check them out at www.zoracleprofiles.com. And the conversation continues with 10 Point Capital's managing partner, Scott Wells, who's going to be helping us understand a little more about the world of private equity overall. But especially now, things have changed in a post-COVID world. So much has happened in 2020 to knock anyone's three or five-year business plan like a two-by-four hitting you upside in the head. What would you say are the greatest differences between private equity's view of franchising pre- and post-COVID, Tom? Yeah, I. it's funny. I, I think private equity remains hugely interested in it. And that's been a trend that's been going on for the last 15 years, since 20 years, since Rourke got going and really was the first firm to focus solely on the space. I think, and I'm, and you see it with the, with the pandemic, but I don't know that anything changed for the best brands in terms of valuation or private equity interest. That in my mind has all stayed the same. And I, I think a lot of that is there's just more capital chasing franchisors. People have discovered how great the business model is and how great the brands are. And so in my mind, I think you're going to continue to see more and more private equity involvement in the space. I would say the big changes over the last year or so, and, and it, this will go away at some point, but you have the the best companies, the most well-run, the best brands that, that have just great growth and great unit economics. Private equity loves those all day long. They'll pay big valuations for them. You have sort of the distressed stuff, the things at the bottom. There's some challenge brands that have been on a, sort of, I'd call them a longer decline. And those deals will get done because they're done really at really cheap valuation. The middle phase right now is a little hard. So it's got a good brand. It Maybe it's not growing 20 or 30% a year. Maybe you're, you're growing three or 5% a year, but the, the company's doing well. The brand is, is healthy. It's just not a high growth brand. That's been a tough phase lately as people get calibrated on valuations and where things sit in the market. If you look back, I don't know, even to 08 when the last big recession and you saw how private equity engaged around the brands, I, I think there was the capital maybe pulled back from the from the franchise space for a while. I don't expect that here. I, I think the capital will continue to stay interested, stay involved. And one of the big differences from now to then in my mind is the private equity groups looking at the concepts now have a really deep understanding of how the franchise model works and how unit economics work. And so I think that what you see now more than ever is private equity going really deep into how this brand sits in the market. Where does it sit? How is it differentiated? How does the consumer view it? How are the franchise? How does the franchise community view it? And then also how are the franchisees doing? And there's still examples that happen where someone goes and sells a lot of franchises and gets them all open and they don't work. But that doesn't happen as much anymore. I think the, in, in private equity is less interested in those types of concepts because they've gotten more sophisticated around, oh, okay, unit economics do actually matter in the long run if these things are going to be successful. And so I I think this trend of private equity and franchising is not going away. I'd, I'd say maybe, unfortunately for me, there's more and more of it coming into the space and it creates more competition, but it's healthy for the market. And it gives, it gives entrepreneurs, it gives franchise brands a lot of different options of who they can partner with. Just like in franchising, it's not a business model that's meant for everybody, be it as a Zor or as a potential franchisee versus an independent entrepreneur. I believe the same to be true with private equity, that there are many different people that might do well with a PE partner. And sometimes they may pick the wrong one, just like a franchise or picking a prospect for a franchise who may really be a great potential franchisee, but perhaps at a brand other than the one that was being considered. So there are different niches in private equity 
equity, if I'm not mistaken. I think of companies like Rourke, I always think of Rourke as patient money, that they're not looking to do a three to five year flip. And there are probably some that do even quicker flips than three or five. So I think doing due diligence for a brand on whether to do private equity is a question that's worthy of due diligence in and of itself, but then with who and with what kinds of companies. So how do you help an audience understand who they should pick and how they do the due diligence to determine culturally who might be a best or better fit for them than another? Yeah, I think it's funny. There are a lot of parallels to to going down the franchise path with picking a private equity partner. I'm probably similar to how I talk to a lot of early brands where it's one, three, five units, and they're thinking about franchising. And usually I coach them like, hey, you should really think about this and maybe just not do it out of the gate. I sort of, I do the same when I talk to entrepreneurs about private equity. And and it's not that that private equity is a bad thing for me. To your point, it fits a lot of brands, but I think a lot of people don't always fully process it. You've got a partner, right? It's no longer longer the founder run business that while you may control it as the founder still you have a partner in the business and it changes things inside so I spent a lot of time encouraging founders is, is they go down this path or, or even business owners if they've bought the franchise or to think about what are their goals in bringing on a partner and I think it's a it, people don't always understand every private equity group is probably a little different and there's different buckets based on what you're looking for so so 10 point our niche is very specific right I am looking for a high growth franchise or at the certain unit count that has a big enough address market that it can get to be a large national dominant concept. And we're going to partner with the founder to do it. So the founder is going to stay in place and lead it. We're typically going to take a minority investment stake. So I'm not going to have control over the business. I tell founders like culture and brand and what your menu, all that, like, I don't want to touch it. You've built something incredible. Like we're going to help you just think about how you scale it better. And so that we're one very particular type of private equity. If someone comes to me with, Hey, I've got a challenge brand and do you want to buy hundred percent of it? It doesn't fit our model. And, and so then there's to your point, there's, other private equity firms out there that have gotten very active in the space. Riverside Company, Levine Lightman, who bought Tropical Smoothie, Rourke Capital. There's there's some great firms out there. They typically are buying a majority of a franchise brand and, and taking it through that next phase of its life. And so for a lot of founders or owners, they're generally going to be looking for liquidity at that point. And so I think it depends on what you're looking for as a brand with the right type of partner. And what's interesting is, and we do a lot of outreach, right? There's 4,000 franchisors. It's not that hard to figure out who they are and give them a phone call and, and get to know them. You know, one of the things that I encourage them to do, even when we're talking, is think about what they're goals are. Because what happens a lot of times is private equity starts calling and they get excited, right? Their valuation, there's a lot of money. It's easy to get distracted from is is an entrepreneur or business owner. What are your goals? Like, why did, why did you pick up the phone and engage in this conversation? Do you want liquidity now? Do you need a partner? Do you want some liquidity now and a lot more later? Or do you want just capital and you want to be left alone? I mean, those things are important for a founder to think about before they start talking and really engaging deeply on private equity. I usually tell people and, and maybe counterintuitive because there's a bit of a negotiation when you're doing a deal, but go talk to your attorney and accountant, get a good attorney involved who's done transactional work. And it can help them start to streamline and think about what are they actually looking for and what they care about? It's interesting. I've found a lot of entrepreneurs that you get sort of farther along in that process and you really start to figure out what they were thinking and what they'd like to do and why they why they engage. But it's really helpful if they think about it on the front end. Hey, I want to be in this three years or I want to be in this 10 years or I, I don't even have an exit. I may want to pass it on to my kids someday. Those are really important conversations that help you find the right partner for the brand. I think Stephen Covey called that beginning with the end in mind, right? Yes, exactly. That And that's, that's what, my, what I encourage people to do. 
because maybe you get a deal done. And this is a lesson learned from a lot of different deals through my career. Maybe you get a deal done with somebody who's who's probably not the perfect fit. But for our type of deal where they're in marriage, I'm stuck with the founder and they're stuck with me in a good way, hopefully for five years, seven years, 10 years, whatever it may be. And those disconnects of what the goals are, if you don't, if you're not aligned going in, it's not as fun as it could. It could be painful. And so to your point, like you start with the end up of like, hey, I'm looking for a partner that's going to help me do X, Y, and Z and going to go try to identify that partner and, and figure out if it's fit for everybody. So we spend a lot of time on, I'm here to help them grow more quick. We've got a, we call it the franchise acceleration plan, but I'm here to help them take a concept that has proven unit economics. It's got great brand differentiation. It's got a really great leadership team and founding leadership team that's going to all help drive this. And I'm going to help them put a framework and process in place and strategically think about adding resources so that they're able to grow more quickly. It's not, hey, we're going to open 20 and next year we're going to open 100. It's uh, let's get a little better. Let's go open 30, but it's next year and then maybe 35 or 40 the year after. It's, I'm going to help them put that process into place to methodically grow grow their concept to, to the, until it becomes a dominant national brand. But like I said, that, that's very specific to us. I and mean, most other firms don't necessarily think the same way. So you got to find the right partner for that. You move at a similar speed as a company yourselves, don't you? You're not out there looking to do 10, 15 deals a year. I think you guys, if I remember correctly, move at a much more measured pace to do one or two strategic deals a year and then take deeper dives with the founders and the ownership. And even though you're taking minority positions, you really are bringing an awful lot of intellectual capital to the founders and their teams, aren't you? Yeah, we we are very methodical internally also. So we do to your point, one deal a year generally, maybe we'll do two deals in a year. We haven't done that yet, but but one deal in a year. And we tell our investors, we tell the companies like we're very linear in our thinking. We're going to do a deal. We're going to spend six months, 12 months, you know, whatever it takes to get that company to where they, they feel like they're growing on their own in a nice, sustainable path. And then at that point, yeah, we'll go think about what's next and maybe start to look for another deal. But we would much rather focus on quality than like quantity of deal. And so for us, it's getting on the front and getting to know the founder. Post-close, we are very active. So I mentioned the franchise acceleration plan. We're not going to get in and run departments. We don't want to get in and tell the team what to do. What we want to get in and do is help the team build process, strategy to think through and make their own decisions and work through it on their own. But we want to give them all the tools, the resources, the support network of other CEOs, other executives at different brands that are in those functional areas and really help them put best-in-class process in place. And, and we're going to get involved and do what we can do to help. We're, I mean, we may help them implement a CRM. We may help them through their franchise development collateral. We may help them build a real estate model. We certainly have done that at all the brands at this point. But it's sort of a whatever it takes mentality. Every brand's got, when we get involved, we, we sort of have, and we share this with the brands going into the deal. We've got a scoring model that we use that helps them evaluate how they are functionally across every critical function of the business. And we're going to walk through, here's the strengths and weaknesses. And every every brand's different. And so you, it's just figuring out what they need and getting involved and helping them sort of go execute and implement against that. But the core, the core is always the same across all these brands, right? It's like got to have unit economics. You got to be differentiated enough to give your consumer a reason to keep coming to you and got to have the right people in place. And if you do those things, these things and the franchisees do really well and make a lot of money, they tend to work themselves out. For the franchisor. How about culturally? Do you bring your brands together? Do you bring teams from each of the brands to pick the brains perhaps of, of one another, not just the common shared learnings that you as the private equity partner have attained, but the cultural kinds of integrations? And I know COVID probably changed some of that in terms of the ability to do it, but is that something that's part of the lexicon? Absolutely. I think it's critical. I, th- I think it's similar to, to any sort of, yeah, I guess, feedback, customer response, anything like that. So I can, I can go, we can go talk to the 
other brands, we can facilitate meetings. I can tell them what we've seen at other concepts. It's helpful to a degree, but the most impactful thing is to get them on the phone with the other concepts or get them in person with the other functional leaders at other brands and let them work through it because it's a firsthand experience and it's not 10 point telling you this is the way this other brand did it. It's, it's getting the other the brands together and letting them share how their journey of how they made a particular decision or work through certain challenges. So one of the biggest things we do, especially as we onboard is, is we like to get the brands together and get to build a network of sort of leaders. We do like to get everybody together in person when it's possible. COVID has changed that a little bit, but what's nice and, and I think it resonates in particular with CEOs, being a CEO is one of the loneliest jobs out there. There are very few people that understand it other than other CEOs. And franchising is a great example. It's other CEOs may understand what it's like to be a CEO, but other franchisors, CEOs are probably the only ones who truly understand what it's like to lead a brand. And so we want to build that network of CEOs across the brand. We want to build the network of CFOs across the brand and chief marketing officers and just different functional areas and let them all collaborate. And what we found is most impactful helps drive success of the brand is when they build their own relationships and we get out of the way. Like at the end of the day, I don't need to be in the middle of it. I'll We'll get in there and we can facilitate dialogue if needed. But hopefully we have a group of people that all trust that we're all under the same tent, that all the information, everything's going to be kept internal and confidential. And you know it's not going to be shared with anybody. And, and they're able to sort of let their guards down and work through challenges together. And one of my favorite things is when we sit in like a monthly review session, chief marketing officer comes in and says, oh, by the way, like I had this issue and here's what we're doing. And oh, but I talked to the CMOs at you know, your other brands and we collaborated on this and they gave me some great vendors and great insight and they helped me think about this, like that's when it works for us. And that's when I think we add a lot of value to the other company. Great stuff. Tom, we're at the point in the conversation where it's time for me to ask you, what didn't I ask yet that you wished I might have? I don't know that there's any major topics. I mean, I, I think the biggest thing that we look for, and I think it's overlooked in this space, and I like to talk a lot about it, is just the sort of health and quality of the brands and, and the fact that it's got to work at the unit level. I think people think franchising is a quick distribution model for brands to grow really quickly, and, and it can be under the right set of scenarios. I've talked a couple times about it, but I, the brands are so important to this. It's got to have a reason to exist. You've got to have the right leadership and the right support. And the, the brands that we've seen succeed long term and get past not only that sort of critical 100 unit count that the Franchise Association talks about, but the 1000 unit count, those have just the right support and resources for franchisees. It, eight years ago, when I started down this path of franchising, I would have said it was hokey when you start talking about culture and brand and team. But the cultures are so cool at these brands. And those are, it's both sort of top down, but also bottom up, you want leadership teams that are passionate about everything down to the hourly level employee who's, who's representing your brand. And so the brands we've seen succeed, you get in a room with them and, and they spend time talking about culture and what the franchisees think, what the store level leadership thinks, what the hourly level leadership thinks, but they spend a lot of time just on the culture and the feel of the brand. The walk-ons team probably does as good as, probably better than anyone I've ever seen at it. They have defined what it means to be part of that culture and, and they've done it in a way that hopefully that message makes it all the way down into the store level and resonates not only with the employee base, but comes across to the customer base. And so I, it's just, it's, it's such a unique model that being able to sort of put these things all together and see the brand succeed is just been a lot of fun for me. I'm kind of sure that based on this conversation, there are those in the audience that are going to want to find you again and take this conversation to a deeper level. How about some contact info, Tom? Sure. Easiest way to contact me is, is email. Um, I mean, you can go through our website, but to get me through email, 
email. It's twells, W-E-L-L-S, at 10pointcapital.com. We love talking to everybody in this space. Like I said, we will start getting to know brands as early as we can. One unit, five unit, 10 units. And this is one of the things that was really special to me about the space was everybody helps each other in the space, regardless of whether or not someone on the outside might perceive them to be competition. But we love helping early brands get going. We love being able to be a resource and do whatever we can, even if we're not investors. And so we always invite people to reach out and get to know them and see where we can help them and help them work through early challenges if possible. Well, that's part of the culture of a guy named Scott Presley, who I've known for a long time. That was part of his way of doing things then. And I'm happy to hear that that's still his way of doing things now. Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. Look forward to seeing you out there on the trail as soon as possible, as soon as we can get back out in front of each other once again. Yeah, I'm ready to get back out there. Tom Wells, Managing Partner at 10 Point Capital. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, that's all we have time for today. Next week, we dive into non-traditional franchise development when I'm joined by Jim Gregory, managing partner at On Campus Brands. Until then, I'm Stan Friedman wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising. And Franchise Today is out. Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees. No excuses, just solutions. Find them online at FRM Solutions. Join Stan every Wednesday at noon Eastern for another live episode of Franchise Today. Or, as always, download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or iTunes. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.